Progressive Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna, former director of government and international relations of the American Islamic Congress. For this episode, we're just kind of winging it. We have some headlines we want to respond to and some gripes we might uh, <laughs> we might cast out and uh, and just the normal heckling John and I present to one another. If you are not listening through one of your favorite podcast clients already, we're available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, and as always, here at CrossingPhase.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at CrossingPhase. John Penna, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How you doing, bud? I'm all right. I'm, you know, I'm you're, you're having a... my spring papers. I'm so yeah, happy. yeah. I, I've got seventeen thousand words on this article. I'm nice. trying to trying to put um, I'm trying to put some infographics in and and get some stuff squared away. I'm trying. I actually have asked for a little bit more time. Um, I'm past deadline on it, uh-huh. um, so uh, I'm, I'm muddling through the, the Afghan penal code. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds riveting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I'm at a point where. I just said to myself, what did I, what exactly did I commit to? And what exactly do I need to deliver to get this off my plate? Um, but as, as is, you know, with when, it, when you're sort of breaking new ground, it's always the, the challenge might be as bigger than, than you might have anticipated. Right. So, uh, but, um, but it's, it's, it'll be the first evaluation of freedom and religion and belief in Afghanistan, uh, talking about it from a Muslim perspective. And uh, some interesting results. I mean, not a lot of. I mean, one of the one of the components that have come out of it did an assessment of 700 cases. More than half of them that were identified as freedom freedom of religion belief were not had no primary, secondary, tertiary cause of freedom of religion belief. So it shows an an a lack of understanding of how freedom of religion belief what it actually is um and using a western rubric but from a muslim perspective it is a freedom of religion belief so it's there's a a a break in the definition there needs to be some bridge uh conducted on the definition needs to be some kind of conceptual translation between how the west enunciates religious freedom and and how it plays out say in afghanistan well, I always advocate that in a Muslim culture, particularly, you know, your Afghanistan, which has been practicing democracy way before most civilizations, particularly at the Shura and Jirgur level, uh, which is the, the village or town level. Uh, everything was voted on Greek jury style. I think that uh, um, religious freedom, the concepts of freedom of religion belief come from uh, are are located in multiple areas of of of, of a code, uh, and let's just take in the south the Pashtunwali code. There, it's multi. It's located in four, depending on who you talk to, four to seven different places of the code. So it's not like there's one line that says we need to respect people, uh, people's you know religious faith. There's a there's the idea of hospitality, uh, honor, there's just, there's all these different components and it's, it's, 
it's there are different pieces of the, of the puzzle that come to the whole with many concepts like justice or freedom of religion or uh, 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 protection of one's property. Uh-huh. They're all part of this larger code that you have to understand it in total to say, ah, this is how it applies because it's a dynamic code that is utilized by the Pushtun people in this case. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, I've always advocated that and, and spoken with a lot of the, my, my Christian friends about it. Um, and, uh, and this is, this is an interesting evaluation. So I don't want to get too down the road, you know, why, you know, buy the book. It's not for sale. It's just an article, but <laughs> so, right. <laughs> well, what about you? You just did 5,000 words. And, yeah. and what, what were you, what's, what was your paper about? Uh, I did 5,000 words on the political witness of the church, which is uh-huh. rife for yeah. controversy. You would love it. Okay. So explain it. Yeah. Just you know, sure. give us a, a 411 on what that is for I, on our side. Like as I know if, if you're talking to my community, you're talking to the political witness of the church, that that's such strange terminology to Good. to my community. You would say we'd scratch our head and go abortion. You know, like mm-hmm. that would be mm-hmm. question mark. You know, right. like what yeah, are we yeah. talking about? Yeah. Well, that, then that would be fascinating. Like to even speak of a political witness that that terminology is um, it's not commonly used in that term, um, but I think everybody it's kind of a little bit of a Rorschach test, right? Because everybody kind of brings with it. Right. So by political, do I mean, you know, electoral political uh, participation uh, or do I mean political in the more, you know, uh, the broader sense? Right. Uh, The more Aristotle sense. Yeah. Well, I I feel I I say political witness. I would think it's someone who's testifying against someone who's religious in a court of law. That's okay. how I'm thinking about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm like, you know, it's like somebody who testified against Jesus would be a political witness. Yeah. And, and, and I could be, um, I'm willing to use another term basically. Um, but political, by political witness, I'm talking about Christianity, uh, and our history that is fraught with, um, terrible moments of church and state being wed to one another, right? Um, mm-hmm. We uh, we're, we're constantly kind of reconciling with that that history, and so the question now is for um, is for Christians. What what is our participation in government in uh, the public square look like? It's a perennial question, um, and. Uh, Christians have been, you know, debating this for for centuries now. Um, what's unique in our situ- in our modern situation is uh, we find ourselves in the context of a liberal democracy. Well, we have lots of in, what we believe is inspired scripture with guidance, but we don't have the institutional what we call a New Testament church engaging the public square of a representative democracy because they were all emperors and kings and dictators then, right? And so the the challenge is uh, translating or interpreting basically applications from scripture in that context about what the church ought to be. Um, and the church is in kind of two tents, right? The church is an institution uh, as the, the local gathering where we go to and church as all Christians, right? The church, we call it the church universal. 
And so we complain about, particularly in this era of of, uh, the Trump world and evangelical support of of Trump, we frequently criticize the church, quote unquote, right? And it's political witness. So meaning the church's witness or or how the church presents and engages uh, the, the political arena. And so Christians disagree a lot about that. Um, in part because I think um, of the imprecision of scriptural guidance on it, uh, but also what I spent a lot of t- my time in my paper talking about are external forces that shape our political views of or our views of how the church ought to um, engage politics. And so my ex- so there's a whole chapter on Johnny P. Right, That's what you're saying? <laughs> it's all about Johnny P. <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy from New York. He's a Muslim, and the church has to engage. No, um, no, I, I really see within the church influence instead of starting with scripture, like we do on so many other issues. Um, our perception of what the church and how the church ought to function in the in the political space in the public square um, tends to be dictated to us by um, cultural influences that. Those cultural influences include our perception of tax policy, right? So churches mm-hmm. are not supposed to engage uh, electoral political politics in a way that would infringe, that would breach the quote unquote Johnson Amendment, right? That yeah. we would lose our our five our five hundred one c three tax exempt status, uh, and even though that um, that regulation is really narrow, it it tends to chill a lot of religious institutions from speaking out on issues in general, even though the only restrictions really are, um, you know, campaign funding and participation and endorsements and that kind of stuff. Um, that's one. Um, Western individualism is a big influence. And so uh, you, you you talk about, you know, particularly uh, Muslims look at Christian churches who are kind of all in for political stuff. Mm. Um and you know, flying the American flag and and singing songs to the president and all that kind of stuff. There's that that's pretty visible, and we we take a lot of issues with the with that. I actually think there's another problem that is least talked about, which is the silent church. The silent church recognizes that they don't want to be partisan. They don't want their their church associated with a political party, which is proper. But then they they make an opposite error. And they just don't talk about politics. Right. And so that sounds like the better option on the good side. You know, the good news is their, their membership of that church is probably more representative of the political body of their community. Right. On the other hand, you now have a, a congregation whose political consciences, I like to call it, are formed by everything other than the church. So right, your membership yeah. is still going to be formed by 24-7 news channels. It's still going to be formed by social media. It's still going to be formed by fake news. It's still going to be formed by family and ethnic allegiances. And so that for a Christian, you know, for people who believe that the Bible is supposed to be sufficient for guidance in all of life, we kind of, we tend to cordon off and stick politics in a silo on the back of church property. And we only touch it when we absolutely are forced to contend with it. And I think that presents a problem. And then when you reach a crisis point, uh, say, you know, not the rise of Nazi Germany, um, apartheid (laughs) in South Africa, American slavery, 
right? You have you have church members who have been already formed by the culture that the, by the time the church speaks up, it's too late. Um, yeah. and even if they even if they issue some kind of formal, um, theologically astute and accurate and tone perfect document, uh, like say the Barman Declaration in uh, Germany or Pope Pius eventually um, issued a, a statement about about Nazi Germany. By the time that stuff happens, those documents, the the trends of the culture are, are set sail, man. And, uh, yeah, it's already done. It's, it's it, done. It, and, and we so have that problem in Islam. We have the exact uh, problem in Islam. Yeah. You know, it, it, political Islam versus Islam, right? And then people say, mm-hmm. well, you know, that's political Islam. That's on the outside. Uh, and, and the challenge is if you're not dealing with the issues, for example, a post-colonial period. Right. How do we deal with colonialism in 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 transitioning Muslim countries? Yeah. It it can manifest itself into something that's 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 not good. Right. <laughs> um, and and it it would seem like the train has left the station and and there's much there's much there's many more Muslims involved than than there than there actually is. Uh, yeah. um, but everybody's struggling with an identity of a post post uh, colonial period, and so. You know, it, it can it you know it can it can move in those in, those, in, in strange directions. In the same respect, with our there's all kinds of strata that's there dealing with this one issue, for example, right. of, of a post-colonial Muslim uh, Muslim you know uh, Muslim country Muslim community, and uh, and it, it, if you're not addressing it, if you have your head in the sand, then it gets co-opted by exactly. in many cases the bad guys or exactly. people that don't believe in the in philosophically in what they do right. you know because the the vacuum will be filled right the, absolutely uh, the yeah. public relations the communications vacuum the power vacuum um, somebody's going to do uh, the influencing and so my my word to christians in particular and i think there are lessons to be learned for um, for other phase too is to come up with your own what I call political witness, which is something ordered out of your faith that then informs uh, how the institution and people ought to think about these things. Now, it doesn't mean that the church as a local church as an institution needs to be endorsing legislation left and right. I don't think that. Um, But you and I both know that in the policy advocacy space, there are, there's kind of a matrix of ways that you can play ball you don't have to go all in to support one particular policy, whether it's an executive order or a piece of legislation, right? So for example, the I use the terms uh, or the issues of abortion and immigration. When we were representing Southern Baptist in DC, there's enough of a, of a doctrinal con, uh, agreement and a consensus on the issue that we can kind of go all in and support particular abortion-related legislations, right? Uh, we can, you know, quote unquote, endorse them, um, and, and advance particular bills on the immigration issue. There's consensus within Southern Baptist life about principles from scripture that ought to apply in any given legislative, uh, attempt. But to date, uh, we've never endorsed a particular bill, right? So we've, we've, but it hasn't stopped us from engaging. So we've issued multiple documents that try to advance particular principles that we see in scripture that try to balance, say in this instance, two issues that are pitted against one another. 
the proper sovereignty of a nation to um, protect its people and the fact that refugees are human beings and we ought to love and care for them. Right. And so, and, and respect their dignity. And so we try to advance those principles, uh, but it's not endorsing a particular solution at a moment. And I don't think, uh, other than resources, really, other than resources and professional training, I don't see, um, any substantive reason why, uh, a local church, um, ought to be barred from that kind of participation, um, on its own terms. So that's kind of the part of my shtick in my paper. Yeah, I, I think I think if it was much more, I think we're if it was much more open, it'd be we'd be in a much better spot. Um, you know, for for a long time, Department of State didn't even touch religion. Right. Yeah. Um, and as a result, uh, there was a lack of training internally on religion, um, and what religion is and what it means globally globally and um and how to interpret religious uh, foreign policy from a religious lens that's a whole nother thing um and uh and then there was a tremendous sort of just disregard for the, the cultural ethnic and and religious identity of the peoples we were engaging um so it's 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 interesting but i yeah i agree with you i think that there's a I've been a tremendous deficit in how the government looks at religion, but then how religions have been able to express themselves in the public space. Although oh, you and I are a product of a very forward, um, right. you know, dare I say tip of the spear when it comes to our <laughs> different faith groups, um, you know, to use a better lack of terms. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, be, you know, was making sure that we were, we were in the in a forefront on particularly religious freedom, but a number of issues. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. We've, uh, well, and, it, and you know. this is going to, we can pivot from here, this tension between religious groups and, uh, uh, and, and government for what one of the, at least one of the stories I wanted to heckle you about as a New Yorker was this, this, uh, back and forth in this tweet from Mayor de Blasio about this, Jewish group that was hosting a yeah. holding a, a public funeral. Like, first of all, what's what's he thinking? So there's so there's <laughs> my, I mean, so we can riff on it for a little bit, but there's a lesson connected to what we just talked about. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But yeah, so your your take on this De Blasio uh, situation? There's a there was a Jewish um, funeral being conducted for a Jewish rabbi yes. who who yeah. a, Hasid, a Hasidic rabbi who died of COVID nineteen. And the funeral drew out, again, in the context of a quarantine, this is some tense stuff, 2,500 people. And, you know, police were dispersed or dispatched. All right. So how do you balance the videos of, of loading refrigerated trucks with bodies? And you sent me a video and said, is this true? Remember Heart, Heart Island? Yeah. Heart Field. So that's like, you know, like a pot, it, it's, it's like a, a potter's field in, in, so, yeah, it's like in a, New York. A potter's field in New York where, um, it was an Island where they buried people Yeah, uh, that they, they didn't have, they didn't have any, they couldn't identify. And, well, um, there was some drone footage online that had the appearance of it being a, a mass grave, a mass grave. Yeah. And so, yeah, our, our, you sent it to me and goes, this is real. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's like potter's, it, 
Yeah. But it was, it, was, it was inconclusive about whether that footage was actually, were actually COVID-19 patients or just the, the standard. Um, when I was a kid, we, we, you, you, you're, this, this is something that is said to you, right? The potter's field. It doesn't matter if it's hard Island. It doesn't matter. Right. And you get on, you get on your bikes, your BMX bikes, or you get on them on the, on the subway and you go and you see it. And you go like, oh, my God. But it is the industry of death. You have 11 million people in a one-mile by three-mile island. Mm -hmm. And people – and there's – you know, I don't know what the death rates are. I can't speak to that. But there's quite a few people that that drop dead on a regular basis and um, who are unidentified or can't afford a funeral or they may know who they are. And and it's the city's responsibility to – to, to, to dispose of their bodies appropriately and, and, and with, dignity, with the most yeah. thoughtful way they can. And in that case, um, that quantity, it's stunning. Oh yeah. It's a, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's thousands of, of people in maybe a day. I, I, after you sent the photo to me or the, the, the video, I actually, I actually texted immediately one of my friends who's more, plugged in and I go, is this still happening down there? Arnfield? And he goes, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's still happening. Yeah. I had to make sure cause I didn't want to speak to you because, right. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just said, is this still happening or is this, am I, you know, cause you know, we were, we were all socialized with it, but it's true. Yeah. We could post the video the article, whatever it is. And it's, it's just that, look, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the middle of America. Um, and I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's just not the middle it's of America different. where, right. Right. Where there's a le- less of a population, you got 11 million people just on, a, on just in the Manhattan area. Then you have the five boroughs, yeah. you know, Yonkers and Queens and and Brooklyn, and, and you're 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 there's there's the population booms. It's you got 22 million people in the, in in the greater New York area. We're talking about New Jersey, you know, uh, the island, uh, and what what we call what we city people call upstate New York, but it's not really upstate. Upstate is is farther, but upstate is up. The, the commuter line goes all the way to Poughkeepsie, which is 110 miles north of the city is the yeah. last stop on the commuter line. Yeah. Um, and there's commuter lines that go to upstate New York. There's ones mm-hmm. that go to Connecticut, um, all the way out to the coast somewhere in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, there's, 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 and there's commuter lines that go south into Jersey and then into Pennsylvania, you know? So, which is what New Yorkers call Pennsylvania. So, um, so the, so the challenge is, <laughs> I was, was going to ask, I was like, pencil tucky. This is a new term for me. Is it? Is it? A, you guys have never heard that before. I've never heard a copy called any, anything else by a New Yorker. Seriously. Yeah. Never heard it. That's been funny. Anything else we call pencil tucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I don't know why I, to me, it's a very endearing term, but maybe there's something pejorative. I really don't know. Um, but, it's just very rural. The problem is you sure. never get above the tree line and right. everything is like this old sort of steel mill thing going on. And then, um, it's, it's, we, it's, the, we always say it's the most haunted, haunted state in the country. It, everything is haunted there. Everything. So I, I stay at the bed and breakfast you stay in the house, everything's haunted, you know? So, you know, I, I don't, it's just a very, oof. It's uh okay. So yeah, it's a strange thing. Okay, so yeah, De Blasio uh, spouts right. off about this Jewish funeral, and it's pretty threatening. Uh, which, on the one hand, it's true because he's dispatching police to disperse a crowd of twenty five hundred, which obviously 
exceeds the quarantine maximums that we've been all told to abide by. But it does, it's not a good look when you're directing that at a Hasidic community, people who are conducting a funeral. And by pictures, a lot of people were wearing masks, at least. You know, here's the problem is that the enforcement of, so I, I, one of my very good friends, we were chatting back and forth about it from the faith community goes, where's the number 10 come from? The 10 minimum. Yeah. What's the, what's the, where, where's, where's the, why is it a limit of 10, 10, no more than 10. So in the Jewish faith that you can have a quorum, if you have 10 people, they call it something else. Uh I don't, I don't know what the term is. So in, in Islam, it's it's less. So a quorum, you, know, you can have a faith meeting uh, and call it a service, essentially, right? If you have X amount of people in Islam or in Judaism and so forth. So the limit wasn't a medical limit. It was based on what was considered a quorum, the minimum amount of, uh, to have a faith meeting, um, a service in, in the Jewish faith. That's what I was told. That, that's, that's what I was told by by the by the white house <laughs> so yeah. I, and i had no idea i said i didn't know there was a minimum amount i mean there is an islam i didn't know what there sure. was in, in in judaism so that's what it is um and i learned from my prayer circle that there is no minimum except for two they don't all you need right right christianity right so you just <laughs> i learned that I learned that the hard way okay so um that's a that's an inside joke from our pilot episode go back to season one episode one yeah, it was like a it was a prayer for circle John, jump in for, for John's MP. first evangelical prayer circle. Yeah, I had no idea that they even existed before that, but it's okay. So, um, I think that so that was the that was what the ten number was about. So uh-huh. I know that for a fact. And I've spoken with my Jewish friends and and members of rabbis, and they said, "Yeah, no, no, that's true. That's that's it's ten. Okay, all right." So, um, but I think. Here's the problem is that you're not, this is, it's your point that, you know, you got to have engagement prior to an emergency. Exactly. Right. So that you have a relationship. And this is something that you and I have espoused all the time, but that's the point you made earlier when we were chatting back and forth about this is what do you do? It's if you do not have a relationship where you can put up a call and say, Hey, we're going to pop a funeral and there might be 3000 people there. You know, I think you should call out the police to do a little crowd control. We're going to maintain distancing as best we can, but we got to, we got to pop a funeral on this guy because he meant something to our community. Yeah. There's no shame in that. Yeah. But you got, but if, so on the, you got to have lines of communication open and relationships existing and a little bit, at least just a little bit of trust. Yeah. Um, Not even, not a personal trust, but like a credibility trust, right? That. You know, the, was that like, was that a slight at me? Is it? Did you just say that you don't trust me? That was definitely a slight at you. Yes. <laughs> All right. I, that, that was a hard burn. That was a, you're like, not that I trust. It can't be a full on trust, a personal trust. I don't know about that. But <laughs> we're we're trying to craft credible political witnesses. So uh, you, you, you send John away. No. Um, uh, listen, you I know, think if you put me up there, uh, you're going to get all kinds of uh, people to jump in ship. Yeah. You know, it might, it might, it might work, work out well for you guys, but you're, you know, the, the evangelizing people, you know, yeah. who wants to be associated with this guy? <laughs> so, you know, I mean a different, so, and so when you have these crisis moments, 
with the mayor who who's obviously under crisis and a lot of pressure say what you will about him like the fact is that mayors and governors are under a lot of pressure right now and it's the data is constantly shifting and and the strategies are shifting and so like you know we can extend some empathy uh to folks in their position uh but likewise when you have you know a pretty regimented uh faith group who has rituals that they believe need to be conducted on a certain timeline you know, you know, we, we got to figure out there's this tension, right? It's the, the play in the joints between um, freedom of expression and, and establ- establishment clause things. And uh, if you don't have that relationship, then, you know, communication happens via tweet. And we get this situation with uh, de Blasio and the Hasidic Jew community, which is really unfortunate. I saw videos of the Hasidic community in Israel throwing rocks at the police. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, help. and it's it's this isn't a comment about Jews. This is no, all no, of our faith communities. No, that's, a, that's a human issue. All of our faith communities want to do their own thing. And previous podcast, two previous podcasts, two 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 away from this one, I was talking about how I was slammed by this guy online who said that you know he was covered covered in the blood of Christ, and therefore you know because Christians should be able to go to church because they're protected, right? Yeah. So, I, it, you know. It, how do you how do you reconcile that belief? It's in the Muslim community. Well, we're we're I'm a good I'm a I'm a, I'm a good Muslim. I am going to go to the mosque. I'm going to go to the masala, the prayer space, and I'm going to listen to the hutbah, the sermon, and I'm going to I'm going to be fine as long as I do that. I, if I don't do that, then I'm not protected, right? right? And then I'm doing something wrong, and therefore I will get corona. That's the other that's the that's the argument, uh, one of the arguments, and uh, and I I just said, listen, I you know. You got to do what you say, what you what you feel. But then there's the larger public, and there's the community that's trying to be protected. Everyone just can't be doing what they want and acting a fool. So the challenge is, is that you know there's a balance there, and I, you know I'm not, I'm kind of neutral on De Blasio to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, he's he's not really my mayor, so I don't really don't really get it. But if you're gonna Engage. You have to have these relationships with the faith communities, and send. You got to send a, without throwing the risk of sounding <laughs> biblically, you got to send a messenger. <laughs> you got to have a guy pop in and say, "Hey, look, you know." But in in the same respect, I think faith communities need to be forthright with what they're going to do, especially yeah. if something's going to happen. They can't just right. they can't just pop a funeral and then right. say and invite everybody and say, "Put on your face mask and come out," because even if it's was any other even if the corona didn't exist 3000 people walk in the streets for a funeral would still need crowd control regardless so but did de blasio do the wrong thing yeah you you can't be tweeting hate messages about faith communities right i, I mean I, I just as a public official about any community right. it doesn't matter if it's a faith or any but any community but in this particular case we understand the sensitivities of religious communities, and in this case, the Jewish community and the Hasidic community. And you know, anybody who hasn't watched uh, what's it called? What is that damn movie called? It's called Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, watch it. Watch Fiddler on the Roof. And if you don't watch, if if you if you can get to the end of the movie, which is very entertaining, uh-huh. you get to the end of the movie, and you don't understand the play of the Jewish community on a global basis. And their history, but all you got to do is pop that movie in. Then, 
then you would, anybody who's watched that movie would never send out a tweet right. or say anything bad about the Jewish community. Yeah. It, you know, it, they, they laughed at me when I got invited. So I got invited to his, to Israel by, by, by the, the American Jewish community and, and the Israelis. I went there and they laughed at me. They go, they go, so what did you do to prepare for the trip? I go, I what? I watched Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> and they were like laughing at me. I go, you know, you know, I was like, what do they, they, they were like, what do you mean? I go, I, I felt, I, I never watched it all the way through and I felt terrible. And I, I said, I just felt terrible that I never watched it all the way through. So I was like, oh, I was just pop that movie. Now my mother is a Holocaust expert and uh-huh. I grew up with, um, you know, I'm a history major. I, I mean, I know I'm socialized with all this stuff, but I felt it was such a part of the culture that I should watch that movie you know and i grew up in a, in a jewish community you know i grew up you know with, with yeah. so it's not like i didn't know and i was just watching that to like socialize myself you know and did, but that was my shtick when i went i was like well i watched the movie and uh but i don't know any how anybody could not watch that movie and and have a strong sense of the um identity of the jewish community yeah. and what how they view criticism for their religious practices and beliefs, particularly in a free free society. And I think that's a, I, I, I think the Blasio is just, it's like, come on, man. You know, like, just like, you know, let, let them pop a funeral on their guy. It's, and, and you should be providing crowd control and you need to start advising people on what to do and, and saying, look, you probably can't maintain the six feet apart, but just let's get this, let's, 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 pl- let's power through it. Yeah. You know, so that we can get everybody home safe. But instead of being like that and being consultive, um, it's reactionary. And the problem is, is that you can't. Right. Any of our communities, it could be guilty of exactly doing that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I drop dead today, uh, I was just talking with my friend. We were talking. It was and and we we're chatting back and forth about it. And I said, well, I don't know what would happen in Corona. Um. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm not sure what would happen if, if would people come out? Can they come out? Would they come out? Should they come out? Uh, and uh, um, well, I don't know what would happen if, especially with coronavirus, it's it's tough because you know, I mean, a lot of most American churches. Uh, I saw data yesterday from from uh, Lifeway. It's a Southern Baptist. Uh, organization that um, has a research division and uh, you know most churches you know would drop down to like four percent of uh, of uh, as far as which North American churches were meeting and uh, gathering since like middle of March uh, it's it's pretty low but you know people still want to go back uh, people want the fellowship and all that kind of stuff but like you know as as early as what it was like February that uh, the South Korean situation, was reported on. Did you see that? It was yeah. The, the the South cult, Korea the had was- yeah. South Korea had done really good a really good job of acting swiftly and had kept their coronavirus infections at like thirty people, and then you had one religious group happen to be some kind of Christian cult that had like a thousand person gathering and patient in the number thirty one plus, you know, spiked. The infection rate, yeah, for that country, and well, so Jordan and that that was way back Jordan, in February. Jordan shut everything down way way in way back way back in March, the beginning of March, and seven cases, seven, yeah, 
and of course, I mean, you can, you know, you could argue it's a monarchy, and right. you know, they're, it, you know, they can, they can pretty much shut everything down. It's not the same type. We're of We're not exactly pining here for authoritarian government. We're just saying. No, no. <laughs> well, no. I mean, but but the fact is, is like they reacted swiftly. They built a hospital in the middle of the desert, sent all their cases there and suspected cases to get screened, shut everything down, shut the airport down. They didn't fool around. Yeah. Uh, and it is what it is. Although I, I, I'm, you know, most gratified that Corona is over with, though, um, that it's been eradicated by the breath of God by Ryan Burke. <laughs> Stop it. Let's not go there. It's okay. <laughs> we we have to get John out of quarantine because he's been watching prosperity gospel preachers and it's it's not good for him. I I'll be honest with you, I kinda want it to be true. I'll just be honest. We all, with well, you. we all want like, it to be true. But I think that's look, I got caught up in it. I was watching this guy and I kinda got excited. I go, this guy this guy gets it. Let's just Let's yeah. pop a breath of God. Yeah. What kind of hubris do you have to have to think that you have the breath of God? Is that it's, it's pretty how bold. can you possibly? It's pretty bold. I, I think no, that you are. I mean, it, it's extremely imprecise and rhetorical, so it could mean anything. I mean, you could make the argument that we all have the breath of God in us if if we look at. Um, well, life, the creation, yes, life. the creation of Adam, right? God yeah, yeah. breathed, right? I would, uh, I would, give, I don't I think would, that's what that, that phrase was mean, right? That. I mean, yeah. you could, you could, you could make that kind of argument, but yeah, to claim the breath of God as apart from anyone else or in some kind of uh, theologically well, here's here's a tidbit of information ways. in Islam. I'm skeptical. In Islam, Mariam, Mary, virgin birth in Islam, same jam. Gabriel, uh-huh. Gabriel, breath of God. Into Mariam, yeah. Jesus is immaculate. Same, same story, right? Same deal. So I think there's a, I think there's a song, "Breath of God," in contemporary Christian circles. There is. It's Am the I, "Breath is, of God." Is it time. Amy Grant? Well, the, the, the oh God, uh, Pastor Paula's husband. What's his name? Uh, God, I can't remember the guy from Journey. Right. He he sings the "Breath of God" song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He rocks that out. I only know that because at National Prayer Day prayer, he sang the song. Remember that was the we did a podcast. Was that, was that the song? Goes, that was the song, wasn't it? Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he goes, "You all know the song," and I'm like, "What?" what we? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was I, like, until my head, I'm like, and then leaning in, going, "Okay, what, what are we doing here?" And, and all the Jews felt, and Muslims and Hindus and atheists are like, no, we don't know that song. <laughs> I just wish, I mean, I just wish he just said, he could have easily said, this is the choir of the song. This is the, what do they call it? The, um, you know, the, the song, the part of the song that, that everybody sings, right? Because yeah, this is, this the is the, yeah. the chorus. That's it. This is the chorus. It's these, these three, these, you know, this one sentence. And we all would have been able to participate in it. We all believe in the breath of God one way or another. So, Really, yeah. and it was very. We learned a lot. I learned a lot about pushing the clouds, pushing up and pointing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, I we'll, felt we'll link, very... I'll link to that episode in the show notes, so people don't have to find it. Uh, search too much. Yeah. So, so, we'll to, yeah. 
So on this thing, coming back full circle to this uh, this political witness thing, I do want to cite a positive example of a, of uh, a pastor trying to do a, a good political witness. It's not partisan. Again, I, I will always want to differentiate between political and partisan. I don't think the church should be acting partisanly. But um, in Des Moines, Iowa, um, the governor uh, had made some statements early last week about uh, amending their coronavirus protocol and she was going to lift restrictions on houses of worship for religious liberty concerns. And one pastor was like, uh, this doesn't really sound helpful and it doesn't really sound consistently. It's not like our fully ordered uh, religious liberty argument here. And he's one who supports the governor and, you know, likes, he's a Baptist, so he likes religious liberty. And he's like, uh, this feels a little weird because in his view, it puts the burden then on pastors to make these kinds of, uh, you know, public health decisions further on congregations, right? And pastors are, you know, smart people and uh, they're going to try to make the best decisions, but, right, they're not public health officials and they're not public health experts. And so uh, part of his concern was the governor kind of releasing religious communities to go about it on their own actually kind of took away or kind of shifted the rightful burden that's supposed to be on the government shoulders to religious communities. And he wasn't crazy about that, but he wrote a letter, um, an op-ed in the Des Moines Register, I'll link to the show notes, uh, where he, I think, does a really good job of... of, of communicating um, from from within his faith community about what life is like, he's not hypercritical about the governor. He expresses empathy for her her decision making situation, expresses empathy for believers that might disagree with him. He expresses you know a desire to meet again with his church in person, uh, but also kind of fleshes out the complexity of it all and and explains that that decision, those remarks, were not all that helpful. Uh, and so I'm just going to flag it for people as a way, as an example of a way to present a political witness um, that's not partisan, that shows the interest of your community, that or shows interest in serving your community and collaborating um, with government officials um, in, in a really charitable way. So that's, it's an example of what I think is a, a healthy political witness. I mean, I... I mean, I think both of us have been very careful in our careers. I think lately I've been a little bit different, uh, a little bit more vocal about stuff. Uh, um, but it's it's not easy to to walk that line. No, not at, at all. all. Not easy. You know, you have to you know you have to walk a mile in 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 each other's shoes, um, and on top of that, maintain your your status with with uh, with your beliefs. And I think that that's it's a very, very difficult road to go, um, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, your community is split right now over it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that I yeah, just I think, sent you something. I think we're I think we're rhetorically split, but I, I think in practice, uh, most churches are united in, in what they're doing, how, how they're carrying out. Most churches are not meeting right now and, and they're going to scale, scale up slowly. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean that I've been involved in those conversations. You know, I, I'm I'm lucky enough to to be helping uh, with the opening up of faith, of faith uh, um, 
in places of worship here and, and working with the faith communities uh, on behalf of civil society and uh, and you know speaking about we talked about it on our last podcast and it's you know, I think most communities want to do it right and, and are very careful about how they approach it uh, the reopening and how they are serving their different communities but people are getting upset you know I, the people are and I mean and I don't mean that in like the guys in Illinois that are showing up with the with their weapons at the state house. Right. I'm talking oh about goodness. people are just people need guidance. People yeah. want community. They, you know, their identity um, is, is it's really important to them, um, yeah. and the community is important to them, and their theology is important to them. And you know, I have a friend of mine. He's 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 all about racquetball. Right. That's his jam. He hasn't been able to play racquetball. That's his religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he's he's losing it you know, completely. Right. You know, like he's completely losing it uh, because he can't go play racquetball. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really really hard for him to to um, to adapt. And I think I'm not devaluing religious communities, but I think everybody is starting to look. The kids haven't been at at school. Yeah. They're not socializing with their friends. They're not putting on their outfits. They're not yeah. playing their sports. They're not sneaking out of school or whatever. You know, I don't know what kids do these days, but they're not doing any of that. <laughs> right. um, and it's it's effect. And and they're they're living in the one and two dimensions. They're living in through text and FaceTime, and that yeah. is is not healthy. No. Um, uh, and so. No one is abiding by the quarantine, really. I mean, everybody's going out, everybody's doing this, everybody. but I think that people are are starting to get a cabin fever. And as as one of my friends from the South used to call it squirrel crazy, which apparently is a condition when squirrels go nuts over a feeder or something. I don't know. Are you, is that – do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't know I don't what know. I'm talking about. I, I don't know what you're talking about necessarily, but it, it, it communicates. I, I can envision it. Yeah, I don't know. You, you, but you laughed at it, which means you must have some <laughs> reference point to a squirrel going crazy because every southerner has a squirrel story about how something got in their house or in their car or something. You know, my, my, my one friend in North Carolina is always talking about how – He's trying to come up with bigger and better ways to make sure the feeder is maintains its integrity against the squirrels. Uh-huh, right, yeah. the bird feeder. Uh, we were discussing this, putting up a bird feeder here, and uh, we were like, "I was like the the primary goal in my mind." We haven't gone tactical yet, but my, the primary goal in my mind, I, I'm aware you gotta you gotta keep it squirrel proof. Right, <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, what what is that? You know, like it's that's like the biggest, you don't have to deal with that in New York City. <laughs> Well, it's just one of the first things that comes out of your like I, I I say squirrel crazy and you know you you have you have something in your head that right. clearly <laughs> you you know what the term means and then the, and I mentioned bird feeder and you're going yeah that's one yeah. of the first things you need to do is keep yeah. the squirrels out hey man you know? I, so, I grew up in West Virginia and it's been what sixteen plus years now in Tennessee so I, I'm familiar with with squirrel squirrel crazy even if I haven't actually heard the phrase. Yeah, apparently there was. He, I, I asked my friend to explain to me once. He says there's a point where squirrels just get nuts and they they just run around all over, over the place and uh, and it can be dangerous, uh, especially if you're dogs. That's funny. So I said, okay, all right. I mean, I'm gonna just gonna go along with that. So I, I don't know. I feel <laughs> squirrel crazy. That's you're gonna need to make a t-shirt. Squirrel crazy. It, it's it, it seems to be a suitable metaphor uh, for for closing the show. <laughs> 
right. Sounds good, man. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, we, we, we went off the rails a little bit, but I think we did talk about the faith communities and what's going on. And yeah, I did. just, I don't know how we're going to survive. I, we will survive. Everything's fine. But um, it's, it's, there's a tremendous strain on the communities and, and no whether you're religious or not. And, and uh, I just know that, I mean, look at us where we have this distance between us. We're trying to keep all this stuff together. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to write and I need to look beyond my computer screen. Yeah. And when I walk out, it's like a, it's, it's, it's everybody, no one wants to walk towards each other. Everyone wants to walk around. Everybody wants to do stuff. And, and, you know, parks are closed. You know, I, I, I it's not cool, man. It's not cool what's going on. I and mean, this is going to last till August. And the effects of this are going to go, and the remnants of this are going to go all the way to Christmas. Oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, the ripple effects of this are, are going to be with us for a while. We'll get, we'll, we'll be more grounded in subject matter later That's at the next this, show. This has, been, this has been fun. We got to have these kind of uh, free for all episodes from time to time. Yes, sir. Stay healthy, my friend. You too, as well. I'll talk to you soon. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at mthawk at jtpinna or at Crossing Faiths. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com.